He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tēnā tātou katoa, good evening. Sam Kane says the support he's received from All Blacks fans following his red card has meant a heck of a lot. The team returned home today, not as the champions that hoped to be, but nevertheless to a hero's welcome. That was News Hub at 6 on Wednesday, witnessing Captain Kane and his All Blacks getting an empathetic welcome back at the airport, and not the caning the All Blacks might have expected in the past for failing to bring back the trophy. And even though this was fully four days after the Rugby World Cup final, it led the News Hub bulletin that night ahead of this. Some victims of the March 15 terror attack didn't receive medical treatment until half an hour after the terrorists had left the scene. CCTV footage from outside Alnor Mosque was played to the coronial inquest today, showing the length of time the gravely injured and dying were left without first aid. And the All Blacks' return even came ahead of this in the news. Israel has confirmed a major explosion in a Gaza refugee camp that killed dozens of civilians was from one of its airstrikes. The Defence Force says it was targeting Hamas militants in the area and killed one of the group's leaders. On this week's Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday, Hayden Donnell looked at how the war in Gaza seems to be slipping down the agenda already for some news media outlets here, even though the media themselves are in the line of danger. Victim of a bombardment, our journalist says she can no longer feel her legs. That and much more in this week's Midweek Media Watch with Hayden Donnell. If you missed it, it's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or you'll find it for free wherever you get your podcasts. Now, earlier this week on Monday, TVNZ 7 Sharp host Hilary Barry teased viewers in a One News ad break with this. And then on 7 Sharp, it may feel like an impossible task, but how do we draw a line under Rugby World Cup 2023 and move on? And over a sentimental soundtracker, melancholic Jeremy Wells asked this question. How do we draw a line under the Rugby World Cup 2023 and move on? Now at this point, Media Watch was expecting someone like a media-friendly psychologist to offer strategies for those struggling to cope with a close-run rugby thing. But instead, Seven Sharp went to TVNZ's own rugby presenter, Scotty Stevenson, and he didn't really talk about how to move on from the All Blacks' defeat. He just aired more expressions of the frustration about what had turned out to be a lacklustre spectacle for a sporting showpiece. It was mistake riddled, let's be honest. Uh, it was very stop-start, lots of interventions from uh, television match official Tom Foley. Um, and it just felt, a lot of the time, the game just couldn't find its own rhythm. So maybe that's why fans are a little bit frustrated. And earlier that day, his TVNZ colleague Andrew Saville told News Talk ZB this. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, <coughs> excuse me, bottom line is it wasn't a great advertisement for rugby, however, full of drama, full of intensity. And the man Andrew Saville was talking to there on ZB, Mike Hosking, had already aired his own opinion on the matter. Rugby isn't cool. It can still be played well, but too often it isn't. Yes, the All Blacks lost, but not as badly as rugby did. But was anybody saying any of this here in 2011 after an even more low-scoring one-try slugfest in the wet and dark in Auckland when the All Blacks ended up one point ahead in a Rugby World Cup final? Boring and even uncool would be a real blow for rugby authorities and for the media. What, for instance, would Sky Sports have made of one of the 2011 winners, Israel Dag, telling Sky viewers during its own live coverage that the final was a snorefest, not good enough for a showpiece spectacle? This is our showpiece event. It's been overshadowed by a couple of people. Well, I had other names for them, but that are just 
taking in their own hands, taking the glory and gloss away from the players that have worked their absolute butts off to get out there. And there's people out there that are spitting absolute tax. And that was Israel Dagg at half-time, claiming the referees had already ruined it. Later, on his own radio station, SENZ, Israel Dagg said, you can see why people switch off from the game. It's boring as hell. And he's not the only one who's been saying these things lately. On the Between Two Beers podcast last week, for example, the current All Blacks and Black Ferns performance coach Wayne Smith said that rugby just can't go on like this. I think it's frustrating a lot of people, not just people like me. And if you it can't carry on like this... And just two days before the Rugby World Cup final, on the academic website The Conversation, Clive Thompson from the University of Cape Town's Labour Development and Governance Unit wrote that an early red card could ruin the final. The spectacle is lost whenever there is a mismatch in numbers, he said, presciently arguing for more benefit of the doubt. But it turns out world rugby is not really focused on better rules right now, but in giving us more of what we now get. On Tuesday, world rugby's plans to expand the World Cup and create a new challenger series were described as horseshit by TVNZ's Scotty Stevenson on the Irish podcast Second Captains. That press release sent out by World Rugby, it was word confetti of the highest order. I got to the end of it, um, and even then my brain hurt and I felt violated. Um, It's just nonsense. The whole thing is nonsense. And while Scotty Stevenson was letting loose, a little more than he normally does for TVNZ there, the second captain's crew in Dublin reckoned he might have been getting a little loose beforehand. And Scotty's not shy of, you know, like... The boys are about to call. Let's open something, you know, <laughs> or what's already open. You know, that's yeah, the question. Yeah. Scotty waste not what not, and why the hell too. not? Well, whatever fueled that from Scotty Stevenson, plenty of other people have also been saying that the game's gone in the wrong direction, and that would be a worry for the media, which need the public to be interested, and specifically for Sky Sports, who have staked a fortune on that. In 2019, Sky TV paid an estimated $500 million to retain the broadcast rights to All Blacks and domestic rugby for five more years. And New Zealand Rugby became a shareholder in Sky TV, buying a 5% stake in it. And even bigger numbers were involved in New Zealand Rugby selling a bigger stake in itself to the US-based fund Silver Lake, a deal detailed in a Business Desk podcast series called Pieces of Silver. I wondered why I didn't quite feel the pain of previous All Blacks failures. This didn't seem to sting as much as in the past. Was I feeling less in love with rugby? Between catching waves, I wondered what lay ahead for rugby in New Zealand. Little did I know, or realise, that wheels were already turning. Well, that was the voice of Trevor McEwen, a veteran sports editor who's also held senior executive positions at New Zealand Rugby and worked with MediaWorks and Sky TV. So this week I asked Trevor if the current backlash about boring and overly refed rugby was a problem that needs to be fixed for the media and are the broadcasters that bankroll it actually the solution? Yeah, hi Colin. I, I, look, I think it's justified on a couple of counts. Um, I think one is the inherent role of the media to reflect what the fan um, is saying and what commentators are saying. Secondly, because it's largely true. You know, look, admittedly, we tend to look at these World Cups through the filter of a successful or otherwise campaign from the All Blacks, but this felt a bit different at certain styles of play prevailing, and that, you know, proved to be uncannily um, accurate. When you've got that, figures inside rugby and inside the All Blacks are twinned with the likes of 
Scotty Stevenson say from the sports media and then, you know, general commentators like Mike Hosking or whoever else that this is a kind of awful spectacle and terrible viewing, you know, uh, that is something the media's got to worry about, don't they, for the future of the game as a media product? Oh, look, absolutely. And it's not just New Zealanders who, who are saying this, like uh, the great boxing adage of styles make fights. You know, uh, uh, you know the Muhammad Ali approach versus somebody else who's more blood, the, the George Foreman type thing. The game used to be weighted that it just came down to teams' ability who, who could impose their style on the other. It's not like that anymore. It's it, it's a lottery. Your you, you know your checklist now for a game as a fan ahead of the game is not only who's the referee, who's the TMO, and 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 who's the faceless guy that makes the decision to upgrade a yellow from red. Who we don't even know who that guy is. They don't tell us. And how many minutes are we going to play with less than 15 men? For, for a World Rugby to oversee a game that, a game of lumbering Godzillas where, in, in fact, the sledgehammer approach, if you like, is the best way to win a game and the, 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 the rapier way or other ways um, just don't succeed because it's too much is against you. That's not good for the game. You know, it's, it's, it's madness, Colin. But isn't it broadcast in the end that kind of bankrolls the whole thing so the media could play a role in fixing or changing this so world rugby sets the rules as you say but if it's like say football we have tv that holds the cards the game is done and technology is introduced because of what they want for their broadcast so in this sense if rugby is as broken as these um commentators and rugby figures are saying doesn't the media hold the cards if, if to get that changed yes yes they do but the Northern Hemisphere press and media and Southern Hemisphere uh, press and media are at odds philosophically as much as the, the the unions themselves are. Those in the North don't see any problem. Um, they will look at this World Cup and say, "Look at the sellouts. Look at our Six Nations selling out every. every you know, look at every game going down to the wire." Um, they they will point to this. Uh, now, press tend to fall into those same two camps. And I think the, the reality is, though, that um, the North hold the power, Colin. I don't see any willingness for um, world rugby to tackle the issues that this World Cup has raised. You know, fans see uh, rugby as, you know, sport and, and and also, I guess, as TV entertainment, particularly if they're Sky TV uh, subscribers and that company. You know, as you've shown in your series, uh, Pieces of Silver, I mean, that your series about that deal is extraordinary. Um, and, and in a sense, it's a media story, too, in that you have figures like, say, Brent Impey, a long-time uh, boss at MediaWorks, becoming chair of the New Zealand Rugby Union and almost trying to do the same deal. Like MediaWorks was, you know, sold to American investment funds. And with Silver Lake, yep. you know, you have New Zealand Rugby doing the same, selling part of itself to a fund based in the U.S., yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating um, exercise to delve deeply into that and to actually talk and and, and uh, openly and, and to the credit of those people that Paul Macbeth and I did interview, they were uh, very open, uh, very very direct, which I think you know made for better storytelling because it became as we got more deeply into it, greater alarm about the uh, the wider New Zealand rugby ecosystem and how broken it is. Um, at all levels. Yeah, so in the end, Trevor, we end up with this, I guess, almost matrix where you've got Sky and New Zealand Rugby have a relationship, even um, a stake in 
in New Zealand rugby itself, and then New Zealand rugby, a substantial proportion of it now owned by Silver Lake. But does that mean that if they're pumping the money into the sport, that they can influence the way it's reshaped as a as a media product, you know, to become something more palatable, and that you know, if there's a solution to be found to all these people saying you know, the game is broken and not great for fans, that that will be the way that it happens? And money talking through these these three organisations that are now commercially enmeshed? Well, that's the, that's the logical um, way forward, isn't it, Colin? Because, again, going back to, to Silver Lake, one of the great failings that is obvious even before you listen to something like the podcast is that lots of people felt like they were left out of the tent, none more so than the Players Association. And that created um, an atmosphere that was far from conducive to, to you know, good communication and getting a getting a deal done. Um, and I, I think one of the one of the things, and I think even the Independence Governance Panel found this, is that NZR is too insular in its approach. It, it, not, not uh, you know not just with the media, but oftentimes with it, with its partners. Um, and it's 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 business as usual worldwide in the space of broadcasters working directly with sports. That, that's just commonplace. Um, across the ditch, we see it with Fox Sports and the AFL and the NFL and that um, that symbiotic nature of understanding um, what works and working closely together. Um, you know, um, I've felt that for some time, NZR is not very good in that space. The Silver Lake thing showed that. Um, and there's certainly there, there are... You know, certainly there are people um, within Sky that I think NZR could benefit from talking more um, to around understanding fan needs and fan wants because yeah, because they're the experts in that space. So, um, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I feel that a lot of what I discovered during the Silver Lake thing and Paul and I found during that time column was this insular approach to. Problem solving and 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 almost a kind of a um, uh, uh, an arrogance of we know better and we'll we'll, we'll just push on um, and it, it doesn't work nowadays because it doesn't bring people with with you in it but it also uh, you know as a as a strategy it's 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 fraught with risk. And finally, Trevor, if we were to go ahead four years, you know, the next World Cup, do you think things will be substantially different? Do you think there will still be fans lining up, watching it on Sky TV, um, watching the next tournament, hoping the All Blacks will win, but there'll still be these sort of gripes about the the, the game needs to be fixed and everyone blaming World Rugby and, uh, you know, maybe Sky TV and other broadcasters that have put money in and hoping for an audience are are going to be kind of gritting their teeth that, that people inside and outside the game are, are complaining in the media that it's not the product that should be for a big sporting showcase? Yeah, the problem with it, with that is there's two parts to that, to, to, to what you've just described, Colin. And, you know, the first is in the hands of world rugby in terms of do they stop the time wasting? Do they stop the forensic technology overkill? Um, you know, do they take the game back to what we used to remember as was rugby? I mean, we can't even celebrate a try now because we have to wait to see if it's going to get past the TMO gatekeeper first. So, um, you know, are we going to get that back? That's in the hands of world rugby. In the terms of New Zealand rugby and their ability to to, to learn, lead, and 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 make us a progressive national union that can try and change things, 
that's really in the hands of whether the board um, and the provincial unions agree to the um, recommendations made by that independent review, which, to be blunt, is uh, for the board, you need to sack yourselves. Um, and two, for the unions, uh, national unions, is you need to de depower yourself and stop trying to um, uh, influence all the, all the decisions made it by the national union. So the answer to your question is if those two, if they, if they have the courage to achieve, those, to, to act and do those two things as recommended by that panel, New Zealand rugby will definitely be in better shape in four years if it does that. Uh, whether the game overall is because the of the competing agendas and the self-interest, particularly of the northern nations, um, I'm, I'm less confident of. And just to add to that, if Sky TV here is saying, hey, we pump in hundreds of millions with a financial lifeblood of this game, and similarly around the world, other broadcasters who have the exclusive rights and are doing doing the same, are they in a position to be able to tell the powers that be in World Rugby, like make this a better product for television uh, and for and for streaming around the world, or you know we're off? Um, do they have that power? Well, perversely, the people who have the most power uh, uh, to do that, um, Colin, are the Silver Lakes of this world, and the, and the, and the CVCs, the you know the European-based um, private equity group who who have bought into Northern Hemisphere rugby. They're the ones that can really force world rugby because world rugby like it, it likes to think it's a FIFA, but it's very far from a FIFA. It's really commanded by the by the by the you know a privileged eight or so um, member unions who who look after themselves. So um, uh, it's prone in a way that FIFA uh, and others aren't to being taken over by either the, the Saudis or. Um, uh, or, or um, a Silver Lake or a CBC or a combination of private equity groups who want to recut the landscape and, and, and cut it in a way that's more going to be more commercially beneficial to creating better dollars, better competitions, you know, moving into the US. Uh, the, the most power is really in the hands of the private equity companies and what they do and whether they decide uh, is this a sport that can take off or not? And that's where I find Silver Lake very interesting um, because they're an American company. NZR made no um, uh, uh, hiding of the, the fact that they were lured towards um, America because of the opportunity there and the whole Silicon Tech Bro, Silicon Valley Tech Bro thing. Uh, was that a spectacle overall that the Americans would get um, and would? buy into, and let's not forget they're hosting the um, uh, 2031 World Cup, so the next one after after Australia. Um, was that something they'd buy into? Um, I don't know. I, I think they'd be totally confused. They wouldn't even know what the hell they were watching out there because, you know, we're seasoned rugby uh, watchers. We couldn't understand it, so good luck to them. That was Trevor McEwen, a veteran sports journalist and editor who's also held senior executive positions at New Zealand Rugby and worked with MediaWorks and Sky TV. And Trevor's currently the writer on the business of sport at Business Desk and the host of its podcast series Pieces of Silver, a deep dive into the deal done by New Zealand Rugby recently to sell a stake in itself to the US-based investment fund Silver Lake. 